I'm Rachel Winchester, and you're listening to the Homeschool Made Simple podcast. Join us as we help you homeschool simply, inexpensively, and enjoyably. In this episode, we're talking about how to make your child a lover of books. As Carol says, you know homeschooling is successful when your child is reading under the covers with a flashlight. Earlier this year, JJ Side taught this workshop from our Literature-Based Approach to Education seminar. Today, you'll hear a portion of that teaching as JJ shares three ways to help children not only read, but want to read. Listen in. Readers usually grow up to be pretty successful and pretty smart, especially in a culture where increasingly fewer and fewer people are readers. And growing up to be smart and decently successful is better than a sharp stick in the eye, I guess. But, but I want you to think with me about reading at a much deeper level. I want you to think with me about reading as an act of resistance. Reading is an act of resistance. I've been thinking this week about Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, Christian and faithful, whose path forces them to pass through Vanity Fair. And the merchants are selling cheap junk and they mob these two pilgrims and they say, what will you buy? And Bunyan says, these two pilgrims put their fingers in their ears and they look up to heaven and they say, we will buy the truth. And the mob is so offended that these men are arrested. They're accused of causing a scene. Faithful's martyred. A man named Hopeful comes along and rescues. Christian helps him escape and joins him on the journey. What will you buy? We will buy the truth. And why do you think about reading as an act of resistance? We live in a consumeristic culture. A society where consumerism doesn't just describe how there's probably something in your Amazon shopping cart right now, but it, but it actually describes something subtler and deeper, the waters we swim in, the air we breathe, our culture's philosophy of the good life, our culture's vision of what it means to be a human being, is to be a consumer. But reading can be a, an act of resistance. We can embrace reading in our homes as an act of swimming against the current where we're actually reading for the renewal of our minds. Where we're reading so that we might become fully human as God intended. Where we're reading so we can discover our identity as something other than consumer. Cicero wrote in a letter referring to his servant librarian, Tyrannio. I wish I had a librarian. He said, uh, since Tyrannio has arranged my books, the house seems to have acquired a soul. Which seems to have led to the popular saying, a house without books is like a body without a soul. Books enrich our lives in ways that we're only beginning to grasp culturally as we return to habits that used to be really commonplace in American culture. Farmers used to be really well read. Day laborers used to be highly literary. People would set aside their Friday night to go hear Ralph Waldo Emerson say a bunch of bizarre things that had come to him while he was wandering in the woods. You know, that, that was what people did on a Friday night. We used to be a very literary culture. Let me tell you a story about somebody who illustrates this principle uh, really well. Dana Gioia is actually a distant cousin of our family. He bears my Italian grandmother's uh, maiden name on my mom's side, Dana Gioia. He used to oversee the National Endowment for the Arts. He's a highly successful 
published poet. He used to be a top executive at General Foods. He has an MBA from Stanford, so he's not just like an artsy-fartsy guy. He also succeeded in the business world. Um, and someone recently wrote an article about his childhood. Working class background, Southern California. This is not a guy who looked destined to build a national literacy movement. He's of Sicilian descent. His father seldom read books when he was growing up, nor did his mother of Mexican heritage. Though she did read periodicals, she did recite poetry to him while he was young, which was probably formative. He grew up speaking Italian in a Hispanic neighborhood in Hawthorne, California. And then an uncle's premature death left him unexpectedly the inheritor of all of his uncle's books that suddenly showed up in their small apartment in their poor neighborhood, filling the shelves. Joya now looks back as an adult and credits his intellectual development, his two master's degrees, his career as a published poet, to the day that those boxes of books from his uncle showed up unannounced at his family's apartment. He says, everything else in that gritty working class neighborhood had nothing to do with artistic or intellectual life. But I became a bookworm anyway. And he talks about how he had a secret literary life because he didn't want to get beat up. <laughs> He knew that was a recipe for getting beat up and picked on. But he paged through every book on every shelf because he said we had to entertain ourselves. And that meant looking for any possible means of amusing ourselves in our seemingly small lives. So we ended up digging through every single book that came from his uncle. And then what was fun for Joya is as he's overseeing the National Endowment for the Arts, a study is done by the National Endowment of the Arts that explains his child to, to him. The NEA study indicated that shelves of books are actually more important than income or how much education your parents have. Homes with 10 or fewer books, even if your parents are wealthy and have a lot of degrees, actually yield the lowest test scores, and the test scores steadily grow with more books in the home. The issue is not income or whether the parents have a college degree. Quote, students of high school educated parents living in homes with more than 100 books outscored students with college educated parents and zero to 10 books at home. Isn't that fascinating? So what we're talking about is incredibly significant. Joya says, a poor family with books in the house will produce a child on the average who's gonna do better in those subjects at school than a rich kid with no books in the house. The data just proves the power of the home environment. Are there books in your home? Are your kids gonna grow up surrounded like Dana Joya with books? It's amazing how obsessed with education and helping their kids get ahead people can be and have a home that's completely bereft of books. So if reading is such a profound act of resistance, if reading has the potential to so profoundly enrich our lives and the lives of our kids, it begs the question, how do you make your child a lover of books? Well, we want you to think about three really simple but profound principles that are easy to name, but if you practice them diligently, they have the potential to redirect the course of your kids' lives. Number one, if you're a note taker, read to your children. Read to your children at every opportunity. Read to them even when you're feeling guilty about all the laundry that's not done. Read to them when it feels like a waste of time. Read to them when you can hear the neurotic voice of your mother in your head saying, this place looks like a dump, right? <laughs> read, read to them when you're tempted to withdraw your presence from your kids and escape into your phone. Read to them when they're five. Read to them when they're 25. Read to your kids. 
One of our kids was actually afraid to start learning to read because they mistakenly assumed that we would stop reading to them once they learned how. Once we realized what was going on, we promised them nothing would be farther from the truth. We're going to keep reading to you long after you want us to, you know. <laughs> the, the high point of the day is when dad reads, right? Mom has been bearing with these children in love all day. Uh, if you're in kind of a traditional single income home and then, and then dad comes home and that's already really novel and he's really tired and he probably would love to put his feet up and watch a game. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but there's something powerful about dad setting the tone and the pace and opening up a book and reading to the kids. Uh, that's paid attention to in ways that nothing else is. It carries weight in a way that nothing else does. So number one, read to your kids, read to your kids at every opportunity. Number two, be a reader yourself. Monkey see, monkey do, right? Like your children are going to value what you value. So you should display books. You should give books as gifts. Occasionally you should splurge and buy a really beautiful hardbound leather edition of a book. You should invite your child to admire the look and feel and smell and typesetting of a well-bound book. One of my mentors, whenever he unpackages a new book, he buries his face in the page and inhales <laughs> the book. Right? And here's what's, here's what's so confusing about living in this moment in time in human history is that counterintuitively, uh, reading is mentally refreshing, but it never sounds like it will be to our brains when they're tired. Because there is a sense in which reading is work. There's cognitive labor involved in deciphering what's on the page. Whereas the beauty of watching television is it takes no brain power and it builds no brain power, but, but it's really nice when you're tired, right? And uh, I'm not here to demonize TV, but, but it's kind of a sucker's bet because we're more likely to dip into a screen when we're exhausted, but screens merely perpetuate tiredness. If we pay attention to how we feel after we've been consuming screen time, we actually step away from screens feeling a little bit irritable, a little bit disoriented, a little bit more drained. An hour goes by way too quickly and we still feel unrested and unmotivated for whatever we were escaping from in the first place. So it's this bizarre paradox. It tricks us into convincing us that it's what we wanna do because we're so tired, but then it leaves us feeling more tired than when we dipped into the screen in the first place. Screens compress time. Oh my gosh, it's already time to get in the shower. You know, Books stretch time and elongate time. Even 15 minutes of reading will stretch time, it'll slow time down, and you'll find yourself feeling refreshed afterwards, experiencing the kind of escape that the screen promised you but then didn't give. Do you enjoy homeschooling? Or are you burdened down by pressures and expectations? Homeschooling doesn't have to be complicated to be effective. Homeschooling can be simple, inexpensive, and enjoyable. For over 30 years, I have taught thousands of families my simple method of using great books to give your child a world-class education. Recently, following a seminar, one woman wrote to us, Carol, you have taken the weight off of my shoulders that I didn't even know I was carrying. Our family had the easiest and most relaxing homeschool day yesterday. If you need fresh encouragement and a vision for what homeschooling can be, I invite you to attend one of my 2023 seminars. On August 5th, I'll be in Franklin, Tennessee, and on September 23rd, I'll be in Dallas, Texas. 
So make plans to join me for an in-person seminar this year. And don't forget, registration includes dads and teens at no extra charge. It's the perfect opportunity to gain a vision for homeschooling together. Click the link in the show notes to learn more and register today. Now back to the show. So we have to outsmart our own brains. Because when you're a tired parent, reading doesn't always sound relaxing or fun. Right? We have to embrace the hard on the front end for the payoff on the back end. We've got to be readers ourselves. We've got to read over the breakfast table and the lunch table. We've got to read in the bathroom, read in bed, read on the couch, read on the back porch. Read uh, with peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in your hands. I'm 43 years old and I'm still finding peanut butter and jelly stains in my childhood copy of Wind in the Willows. That's a good thing, right? Bring, bring a book everywhere you go, especially if you're going to be stuck in a waiting room or at the tire shop. Always have a book with you. Stephen King in his book on writing famously said, books are a uniquely portable magic. The perfect entertainment. No commercials, no batteries, hours of enjoyment for each dollar spent. What I wonder, King says, is why everybody doesn't carry a book around for those inevitable dead spots in life. The trick is to teach yourself to read in small sips as well as long swallows. Like, we have to be readers ourselves. Third, surround your kids with wonderful resources. Spread a table for your kids. This really interesting couple a generation ago, Victor and Mildred Gertzel, that's like a generation ago name right there, Victor and Mildred Gertzel, decided to study the childhoods of over 400 what they called eminent people which they define as people who at minimum had had two or more biographies written about them. And they wrote a book about all the things they observed, reading 800 to 1,000 biographies and looking for commonalities and patterns. Pretty fun exercise. If you got a couple years, you know, you might try it. Uh, this book came out in 1962. It was titled Cradles of Eminence. Cradles of Eminence. It got a ton of attention at the time because it was really trendy in the 60s to try to figure out how to optimize your child's future. So everyone's like, they've cracked the code. You know, this is it. We're going to read this book and find out how to turn our kids into superhumans. And what's so fascinating is they found this common thread that we already know about, which is these people tended to grow up in homes filled with books. Homes filled with excitement about and love for reading. Homes filled with stimulating conversation and strong opinions, where these people as children had to learn how to think and express themselves clearly in conversation. Homes with at least one strong parent who believed in them. So the authors ultimately concluded, quote, a rule of thumb for predicting success is to know the number of books in the home. Same song, different dance. I'm just going to keep saying this in different ways until we go to lunch. <laughs> and, you know, maybe we'll eventually believe it together. Um, a study was done internationally that took 20 years. That's some kind of patience. And they came back from this international study. They studied kids in uh, Southeast Asian countries. They studied kids in the West. They studied kids in Europe. And they came back and they said, well, it doesn't matter what your nationality is, your level of education. It doesn't matter how rich your parents are. Kids who grow up with books in their homes go on to do better in school than kids who don't. Kids with books in the home tended to be three to four grade levels above their peers, no matter what country, no matter what part of the globe, no matter how poor or rich those kids are. Center for the Study of Reading says this. Reading to kids builds vocabulary, stimulates imagination, 
stretches the attention span even better than Ritalin, nourishes emotional development, introduces the textures and nuances of the English language. Reading aloud is, in essence, an advertisement for learning to read. Now, these things that are so basic have become so forgotten in our culture that you get articles like this in the New York Times back in 2018, where the New York Times highlighted a new study in the journal Pediatrics. And, and you just have to laugh a little bit. I don't want to be cynical, but, but these things are so forgotten that people are acting like they rediscovered the wheel. Uh, they say in the New York Times, evidence has emerged of just how sustained an impact reading and playing with young children can have. <laughs> Man shaping their social and emotional development in ways that go far beyond helping them learn language and early literacy skills. And then in the inevitable way that, uh, that a researcher can make fun things sound not fun. The parent-child book moment. <laughs> Is that what they're calling it these days? Anyway, but the parent-child book moment even has the potential to help curb problem behaviors like aggression, hyperactivity, and difficulty with attention. So even if you don't particularly like your child or like spending time with them, it might help with their aggressiveness. Um, Dr. Alan Mendelson, associate professor of pediatrics in New York University School of Medicine, uh, led this research. And he said, we think of reading in lots of different ways. I don't know that we think of reading this way. The key take home message to me is that when parents read and play with their children, even when their children are very young, we're talking about birth to three-year-olds, he says. It has really large impacts on their children's behavior, end quote. Isn't that interesting? Please get off social media, by the way. But, but while you're getting off social media, stop and think about how often you feel inadequate, how often you feel like you're not doing enough. And, and yet, cutting-edge research is suggesting that if we would just not do enough so that we're actually around our kids and paying attention to them and spending time with them, profound things would happen that everybody's paying so much money to try to pull off. What a concept. Like if you just pay attention to your kids and spend time with them, they tend to flourish. You don't even have to be rich. Um, Jim Trelease, for those of you who don't know him, uh, was of the past generation, sort of the prophetic voice in the wilderness begging people to read to their kids. Uh, he wrote a book called The Read Aloud Handbook, which was released in so many successive editions. And, uh, and I'm going to continue to quote him in the remainder of our time. Jim Truly said, we've concentrated so hard on teaching children how to read that we've forgotten to teach them to want to read. We've forgotten to teach them to want to read. So I stopped and thought about that. You know, I've got these nine-year-old twin boys. And what's so fascinating is they'll actually, for as hyper as they are, and as much as they're bouncing off the walls and chopping things down and burning things and digging holes in my yard, they will actually listen to me read to them as long as I can stay awake, which is not long. Uh, they've actually gotten really adept at shaking me, you know, so they'll just, they know to shake me. Like, Come on, dad, get to the end of the chapter. It's like, sorry guys, I got up at 5.15 this morning. Uh, so, so I went back and looked. I, I'm a pastor, I'm a nerd. I, I write down every book that I finish since about uh, the year 2009. And I mainly do that because as a pastor, reading is a big part of doing my job well. 
So every year I like to look at what I've read and, and assess it as far as a balanced diet. Am I reading enough dead people? You know, am I reading enough, uh, am I reading enough stuff from the church fathers? Am I reading um, enough stuff of what's going on in culture? So I look back at our list of the things that I've read to the boys in the last four months. We just finished, uh, we basically averaged about a read aloud book a month. That's not too bad. We read it every night before bed. Uh, we just finished reading Winter Dance, The Fine Madness of Running the Iditarod by Gary Paulson, who wrote Hatchet. It's not a book for kids. It has a lot of cussing in it. But that's what's great about reading aloud to people who can't read. They don't know. So <laughs> I just, you know, it's like fitting. I just add it as I go. Um, before that, we read My Side of the Mountain uh, by Gene Craighead George, which is this incredible story of this kid living off the land and hollowing out a tree. Um, and they're hanging on every word. It's so much fun. Before that, we read Cheaper by the Dozen, which has nothing to do with all the silly movies by the by the same name, uh, which is a true story written by two of the 12 children of these incredible parents who raised them. Um, and we just like belly laugh through the whole thing. There's, it's a very, very funny book, very witty book. And so it's just fun to hear your kids chuckling together. As you read. Before that, we read the, the Witches by Roald Dahl, which is also deliciously funny. Um, and, and we're in a season of fighting to do this more. There's been years where we haven't had this frequency of reading and there's a renewed focus in our home in the season to try to fight for time to do that. And just like you guys, we don't really have a ton of free time. My job's really demanding and challenging. We not only lead, but we also serve in our church in a lot of ways, just like many of you. My wife, Kristen, is a deaconess. She's a gifted groups coach for our ladies, small group leaders. Uh, we're constantly having to do laundry, buy groceries, clean the house again, respond to the latest tragedy or pastoral crisis, fight for time to maintain our personal friendships, as well as being interruptible for strugglers that we've committed to walk alongside of long-term. And Kristen's now holding down the fort solo this weekend while I'm here with you guys. Uh, just like you, we don't really have time to do these things. We, we make time to do these things, right? We have to keep reminding ourselves what's important and what we're going to wish we had spent more time doing when our kids leave the house. They're going to grow up before I know it. And my house is going to be clean all the time. I can't really imagine that right now, but I've heard tell that it happens. In fact, it's going to be too clean, right? And it's going to be too quiet. And I'm going to guarantee that I'm not going to wish I'd spent more time cleaning it. Right? But I, but I very well might wish I'd spent more time reading to my kids. Now, I'm not advocating that we live in squalor. Please don't do that. Uh, but people matter more than things. Right? And the little people in my home need to come first. It'd be better to be out of clean socks if we got to read that night. That's actually better. Uh, and my kids need me to spread a banquet of books for them as they grow. Listen to how C.S. Lewis describes his childhood home famously in Surprised by Joy, which was his account of coming to faith. And he ended up sort of writing a mini biography on the side in the process. Lewis says, I'm a product of long corridors Empty sunlit rooms, upstairs indoor silences, attics explored in solitude, distant noises of gurgling cisterns and pipes, and the noise of wind under the tiles, also of endless books. My father bought all the books he read and never got rid of any of them. There were books in the study, books in the drawing room, books in the cloakroom, books too deep in the great bookcase on the landing. Books in a bedroom, books piled as high as my shoulder in the cistern attic, books of all kinds reflecting every transient stage of my parents' interests, books readable and unreadable, books suitable for a child, and books most emphatically not. Nothing was forbidden me. 
In the seemingly endless rainy afternoons, I took volume after volume from the shelves. I always had the same certainty of finding a book that was new to me as a man who walks into a field has of finding a new blade of grass. You can hear the wonder and the invitation to explore in Lewis's recall, but we've tamed reading and we've made it merely something that's good for you. An author and researcher of another generation, Jean Chaw, in her book, Learning to Read, The Great Debate, said, children spend so many years answering questions about the main idea, the details, and what caused what in short paragraphs that they come to believe that's reading. And when such children are through with school, guess what, she says, they're through with reading. The average college graduate in America doesn't even finish one book a year. They know how to read, otherwise they wouldn't have graduated. They just don't want to read. We spend so much time teaching children how to read that we've forgotten to teach them to want to read. Does it seem too simple to be true? It's not. A great education is made up of great books. If you're interested in hearing the full workshop of making your child a lover of books, click the link in the show notes to check out our website for upcoming seminars. Thanks for joining us this week on the Homeschool Made Simple podcast. Be sure to tune in next time as we help you homeschool simply, inexpensively, and enjoyably. Blessings. Blessings.